a lot of it comes down to time management, right? Because if you can only actually write for 15 hours a week because you're just so busy doing everything else, the more of that you can take off your plate, the more yeah. time you've got to either A, find clients that pay you more or even just find more hours to actually write. Or take a nap, you know. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Content Marketing Podcast brought to you by Hedge, the finance content agency. My name is Jason Mountford, and today I'm joined by Anna Burgess-Yang. Anna, thanks so much for being on the show with me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So we're just having a little bit of a chat offline, and um, my aim with this show is like is really just to... to find out what other people who are being successful in the industry, uh, what you're doing, what's working, what's not working, and kind of tap into your expertise so that number one, so that I can kind of ride on your coattails. And then hopefully there's other people um, that can can do the same thing. So you've got a pretty interesting story in that you uh, made a bit of a, a career pivot um, from, from FinTech, which... Uh, kind of piqued my interest because obviously a lot of people want to get into fintech and then you're making the the other move so do you want to start by just giving us a bit of an intro as to who you are what you do and 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 then maybe how that that pivot came about sure so um i worked in fintech for 15 years um started doing with implementation it was an enterprise com uh, enterprise solution then worked in um as a product manager and eventually ended up on the executive team. And like many people, um, the pandemic hit and it made me kind of reevaluate what do I want to do with my life? Is this really where I want to be? Um, and the answer to that was, I need something else. Mm -hmm. I've been doing, I wasn't happy with the role um, and kind of what I was doing at the company. I'd been doing it for so long. So I thought, what else can I do? And full disclosure, I did not know that content marketing was a thing. Like I, that's how immersed I was in the fintech world um, and how mm -hmm. removed I was from marketing overall. So I started just looking and thinking, what else can I do? Um, I studied writing in college, had never considered it as a professional career. But as I started looking for jobs online, this content marketing kept coming up. I thought, okay, mm -hmm. sure, I can do that. Um, so I did some freelance <laughs> freelancing on the side while still at a fintech, while still working an executive job, and while my three kids were home due to the pandemic. <laughs> so I would get up really early and do some freelance writing, eventually built up enough of a portfolio that I could apply to full-time content marketing jobs and got a job as an agency. I uh, was very lucky to be paired with uh, clients that wanted me to write about product management. And so even though it wasn't fintech specifically, I had product management expertise. Um, so did agency life for about 18 months uh, and then finally ended up freelancing uh, and focusing specifically on um, fintech related content. Uh, so relying on that expertise that I built up over a long period of time uh, and then can draw on that to, to write for clients. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think, I mean, I find that interesting because that's not fintech, but in finance, my background was in, in wealth management and I've done the same thing just with a different, slightly different niche, really. Um, do you think there's, there's more demand for people like that? Because obviously, especially with AI, which we can get into, like the pro proliferation of content is, you know, it's constantly growing the amount of content out there. Do you think there's more of a demand now for people who have that niche specific experience to then turn into the people creating the content to have that kind of deep analysis and understanding? I, I do. Um, and if 
the type of work that I've gotten as a result of going off on my own is in any, any indication? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And part of that is I think some of some audiences are so knowledgeable on their own that if the person writing the content doesn't really know what they're talking about or is only relying on research on the internet written by other content marketers, mm -hmm. it doesn't sound it doesn't sound real. The audience can tell that it's it's it, uh, you know it's not interesting. It's not deep enough. You know, it doesn't really speak to the problems that they're having. Doesn't fall into the you know, helpful content category that Google has now said they want to focus on. So um, yeah, I think that there is a demand for certain types of content where you really need somebody who can speak that language of the audience. Yeah. And I guess the way around that for, for content teams or, or individual writers who don't have that expertise, you know, you can always do interviews, you know, yeah. speak to people one-on-one, yeah. -on -one, but I guess that's that's tough, right? Sometimes, especially when, when people are feeling stretched for time as everybody is now, it's like trying to get that half an hour, that hour with a, with a, with an expert can be, can be difficult. Absolutely. And I've done, um, interviews myself for different, um, different clients that I've written for and things like that. And that's always the trick is getting the interview scheduled, getting it scheduled in a timely manner. So you can actually write the content, um, and, and also knowing how to interview and knowing how to draw those mm. interesting insights out of that person. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know yeah. what questions you should be asking. Yeah. Right. Or even taking, like, let's say it's somebody who talks about a really um, deep compliance topic, which often is the case in FinTech in particular, but then being able to translate what they said into content mm. without losing the message in between. That's tricky too. Yeah, definitely. So what type of work do you do now? I know you've got a few different hats that you wear in, in, in the work that you do for clients. What is that? What's kind of the buckets that they fall into? Yeah. So I, um, I write for clients directly. A lot of them are fintechs. Some of them are, uh, SaaS companies, um, and other interests of mine. Um, but I also, uh, work with clients and help them set up Zapier, uh, which is something that I just, love using. I've been using, I, I started using Zapier when I was in FinTech and trying to connect disparate systems. Like mm -hmm. we all, we, you know, the developers were using GitHub, the, um, customer success team had their own ticketing system and we had a project management tool and all of them were critical and none of them talked to each other. Yeah. Um, so I use Zapier to kind of make those things happen. Um, and then even after I left that, I still use Zapier personally I implemented into my own work in agency life. Um, and I saw this need that everybody kind of knows what it does. And mm. a lot of people don't just get stuck. They don't know where to, how to set it up. Um, so I started just kind of testing the waters, working with different people saying, hey, tell me what your problem is or show me, record me a video, even better. Show me what you're doing manually and let me help you figure out how to automate that so you can save time. Um, so, and I've got all site, all kinds of zaps running in the background for myself <laughs> that save me time uh, so that I can focus more on the work that's for clients and less time on that menial stuff that's happening in the background. Mm. I definitely want to get into some of the specifics around that because I think that'd be really useful. But um, before we do, in terms of how that, how that has kind of played out for you, has it been a case of You've gone into a business as a doing some writing for them, creating some content for them. And then that 
has then transitioned into, oh, hey, by the way, like I can probably help with this automation stuff or this workflow stuff. Or have you sort of attacked that from two different, like looking at completely different clients for both of those those buckets of work that you do? They have ended up being completely different clients. Um, mm -hmm. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, so I get a lot of uh, inbound interest. And I talk about just kind of work, um, content as a whole, not necessarily fintech, but just kind of content and um, writing helpful, useful content. And mm -hmm. then I give examples on LinkedIn. Sometimes I'm like, oh, and by the way, as a, as a content person, these are some of the ways that I use Zapier. And so sometimes that'll turn into interest from people who then reach out and say, hey, can you help me with this? Um, so there hasn't been any overlap. Um, not to say that it could never happen, but and that's fine. I like the variety. So yeah, definitely. So why don't you tell me a little bit about so I I'm definitely in that camp that you're mentioning before. Like I know what Zapier does. Whenever I use, I feel like like what's a good analogy? Like I have a small garden that, you know, a hand push mower is more than fine. I feel like I'm using like a tractor to mow that lawn. Like I use it for, you know someone puts a contact thing on my website and that puts their email address into like a Google sheet or something like super basic like that. Um, but I always feel like, yeah, there's so much uh, capability there that you just, it, it's hard to get your head around. So what are some of the, the, the tasks that you think Zapier is just amazing for? It's just working really well for either you personally or your clients. Yeah. So um, an example personally, um, so when I sign um, a new client and I use a tool called HoneyBook, um, when that contract is signed, Zapier automatically creates um, five Google folders for me, um, mm -hmm. one for the client and then four subfolders. So that's something I'd have to do, just saves me time, keeps things mm -hmm. consistent. Um, then it writes the client to um, Airtable, which is how I keep track of all my client work. Um, and then when the client um, requests content from me, I have just an Airtable form that they fill out. But then Zapier creates a Google Doc for me in the correct folder for that client and creates a card in Trello, which is what I use for project management, mm -hmm. linking that Google Doc to the Trello card. So those are all things that would just happen. I'd have to yeah. create, a, create a draft document. I'd have to put something in my project management. Those are things that are happening all the time. And each time it's saving me a little bit, just a few minutes in my day and having to do all that manually. Yeah, definitely. The one, I, the problem I always have, I have way more than I should, because I've got like 14,000 Google accounts. So like I'll start a Google <laughs> doc and I'll finish it. I'll be halfway through the article and I'll realize Oh, that's in that email address for a domain name that I thought was going to be the next big thing. And I've never touched since then. You know what I mean? So that would, <laughs> yeah. that would avoid that problem too. Yeah. It keeps, it keeps my work uh, organized so that the, you know, I know that my drafts are always in the draft folder for that client um, in my drive. Um, and then things that, you know, I've done for clients are, you know, um, I had a client that did a lot of courses online Mm -hmm. um, and recorded courses and, um, the way that their platform, which was teachable was set up, it couldn't automatically enroll somebody in an extra course. So let's say the person bought an upgraded version and it came with a free course. They were mm -hmm. doing that man. They were doing that manually. So every time somebody bought a course, they'd have to manually enroll them in another right, course. Yeah. Teachable just couldn't do it, but Zapier could. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was able to say, okay, if this course, then add this course, and then it would notify the enrollee that they were enrolled in, you know, so again, something that was happening manually and happening a lot. Um, and I was just able to say, yeah, we'll just take care of that. You won't have to think about it anymore. I think this stuff is really important. And, um, you and I kind of connected on the, the super path, um, Slack group. And I think the first time we came across each other was in, someone asked a question about like, how do you make six figures as, as a freelance writer? And I think we both had similar views in that a lot of it comes down to time management, right? Because if you're, yeah. if, if you can only actually write for 15 hours a week, because you're so busy doing everything else, then that's, you know, automatically that's going to put a cap on, on your income. Whereas if you can get to a point where a lot of that's that busy work and that, uh, you know, either dealing with inbound or dealing with your accounting or like whatever, the more of that you can like take off your plate, the more yeah. time you've got to either a find clients that pay you more and service those clients better, or even just find more hours to actually write really or take a nap you know i mean yeah into exactly naps. <laughs> yeah i'm big, big into, i'm big into naps too so yeah. um you know there's a lot of different ways um you know i've never done math on how much time i've saved with sapier but um it's a lot um it's a lot like on a weekly basis and also just keeping my stuff consistent like you said with using the wrong google account now it's in the wrong place or whatever like i don't have to risk that as much or it just kind of keeps me organized um without even having to think about it yeah definitely so what about automation for kind of your non-core work so i guess core work is like what we're saying there about client files and keeping things yeah. organized do you do what kind of stuff do you use it for in like your, your day-to-day life like i don't know like the accounting st- example i use or that kind yeah. of thing so um i'm pretty active on social media you know that's how clients find me Mm-hmm. Um, and I write long form content on Substack mm-hmm. and, and, and medium. So one thing I have Zapier set up to do is when a post publishes, um, I use the RSS feed for that post as my trigger. And mm-hmm. then it automatically creates reminders for me in Trello to repurpose that content in two weeks in four weeks and in six weeks. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not like manually keeping track of a content calendar in my background. Like, Oh yeah, I wrote that post four weeks ago. It's time to put a LinkedIn post out about it. Yeah. It's creating it's so, you know, basically then, you know, once a week I can go into Trello and say, okay, what's my content for the week. And it's already kind of there for me. Um, or at least some of it is, you know, like, Oh, yep. Go back to that old post and, and, figure out some new insight to share. Um, Mm. So that's, again, just taking kind of the thinking out of it, Um, especially because, you know, content marketers, we know that content repurposing is pretty critical, (laughs) you know, don't, don't, don't reinvent the wheel more than you have to use that old work. Um, And so that's one way that I can kind of constantly resurface those, that work that I've already, you know, I've already put the work into it. But also, um, you know, just keeping my calendar full, you know, like I, I put new LinkedIn posts out, new tweets, but then it's just less of that that I have to do because I have this pool of repurposing stuff that I can draw from. Yeah, definitely. Like you say, the thinking is often the hardest bit. It's like getting going. Okay, what am I going to write about? Or what is this piece going to be about? And once you yeah. get going, it's it's fine, isn't it? Yeah. And so, you know, people can draw themselves a chart, you know, like a flow chart of where their content gets repurposed. 
That's mm -hmm. interesting. But unless you actually have a system to get it out there into the world, it doesn't do much for you. So is, is Zapier like your, your one go-to? It's like a, a full multi-tool or, or are there any other tools or sites or apps or anything that you, you tend to use? Specifically for automation, the only other one I've played with a little bit is called um, If This Then That, I-F-T-T-T. Um, yep. I don't think it's as robust as Zapier. There are like a couple of really small things that I use it for, but, um, I'm aware of, uh, make, I think it was previously in Turgomat. Um, but I'd rather just specialize in one and not have to learn multiple tools. So, you know, when I talk to people, I'm like Zapier, you know, if, if you want to work with me, Zapier is what I'm going to use. Um, just because I'm so familiar with it, um, and know how to put the different pieces together. Um, but honestly, I think sometimes it's just visualizing like what are the steps, no matter what mm. tool you, what, what tool you use. It's kind of like, what's an idea? How do I get started? How do I tweak it if it can't quite do what I want it to do? Um, cause there's filters and things like that. So that's kind of all the, the pieces that go into putting something like that together that I think that's where people often get stuck mm. and that's where I can kind of help people get unstuck. I mean, that process is super valuable anyway, isn't it? Like, even if you're yeah. doing it with it, with just, let's just take the existing way we work, but try to make it more efficient. Let's map everything that we do. And you probably find, oh, hold on. We're doing that, this part here, but actually someone else is also doing that yeah. over here. We're doing that twice. Let's, let's change that. I mean, that I think super valuable. Oh yeah. And for me watching people do, I'm like, just, just send me a video just talk out loud yeah. about what you're doing every day. And I can usually, that's usually enough for me to like, see the problem be like, Oh, you don't need to do that. <laughs> there's a better yeah. way. To, there's a better way to do. And people sometimes aren't even aware of it. Um, but you know, like talking through that process, um, helps, even if it's, um, I worked with, uh, another client who just needed a Slack notification to go to their team when they uploaded mm -hmm. their, their own podcast recording to a specific folder. And then it was like, well, two new, two other people needed to do something with that recording. So it was like, okay, file goes to Dropbox. Let's now send a notification to Slack. So these people know what to do. Just little things like yeah. that. Cause she said, well, sometimes I upload the video and I forget to tell people that it's there. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. stuff, you know, stuff like that. Communication's a big one. Yeah. It's like a minute, a minute on a task seems like such a non-event, but if you're doing that a hundred times a day, like it just adds up, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned LinkedIn, like LinkedIn before a couple of times about how that's how you tend to generate most of your clients. Um, tell me more about that. How long have you been consistent on LinkedIn? Did that kind of blow up straight away? Did it take some time to get going? How did it look for you? I started posting uh, consistently on LinkedIn, probably in early 2021. And really at the time, the only reason was because I had left a career that I'd been at for 15 years. I was connected to a lot of people, mostly bankers. Um, it was kind of just a way to keep in touch. So I just post something once a week about something going on in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and then in late 2021, my husband was working at a job and they ordered him back into the office after he'd been remote for a while. And mm -hmm. he was like, he was like, no, I'm not doing that. So he found another job quickly. And so I just wrote about that on LinkedIn. I was like, no, like, you know, we have made a life of having both of us work from home. We're used mm -hmm. to that. We're not, we're not giving that up. And that post blew up. Like 
4 million views and like 1500 new connections. I was like, that's crazy. Oh, it was, it was totally unexpected. Um, clearly it was something people wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, but suddenly I had this audience of people that didn't know me personally before all of my connections had really been people that I knew. So I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to talk about remote work a little bit more. Uh, so I started upping my LinkedIn to like two times a week and then three to four times a week. And now it's like two times a day, um, talking about, you know, work culture, um, content, um, Zapier automation, things like that. But, um, because I'd been doing it, you know, since late 2021 and gradually increasing that, um, when I made the pivot to freelancing there, there was just kind of this, I don't want to say social proof, but you know, proof that you yeah. know, people could see, people could see that I could write, they'd, you know, go over and I, my headline says FinTech writer, um, yeah. they'd go over and look at my portfolio and then I'd get a DM. So, um, that headline I think helps, even though I'm not necessarily talking about FinTech, but you know, people see me and they're like, oh yeah, FinTech writer. I need one of those. Mm. Um, so just, I think being present on LinkedIn has been enough, at least so far. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that you mentioned about fintech writer. Oh, I need a fintech writer because I've been paying a lot more attention to this kind of stuff myself, like for obvious reasons. Yeah. And it's amazing how many times I choose to contact someone to do business with or potentially do business with, with no other information really, other than the fact that they are an individual who does that thing. And I seem, I think they seem kind of cool or they seem nice. Yes. <laughs> like I know nothing about whether they're actually really proficient at it or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. and writing, I guess writing's a bit easier because you can, you, you do can have, have a, portfolio. a bit more proof, yeah. but like my accountant, I follow her on Instagram and I don't even know how I ended up following her on Instagram. And I just contacted because I was like, I need an accountant. She seems pretty cool. And now she's my accountant. And I think that's something that people miss is that, yes, you had that massive viral post, which is amazing and can provide massive benefits, but you don't have to have viral success. No. It's just, as you just said as well, keep showing up so that people, if they need a FinTech writer, if they need a content marketer, if they need a podcast production company, they're like, oh, I don't know any personally, but there's that person on LinkedIn who I see every week who does that, I'll see if they're interested. Yeah. Or even like in a different type of example, I was buying Christmas gifts for my kids and trying to think of something unique and somebody mm -hmm. that I'm connected to on LinkedIn who doesn't talk about her company hardly ever, but she runs a company that puts these little book subscription boxes together for kids. I'm like, oh mm -hmm. yeah, she works at this company mm -hmm. and she's cool. So maybe I'm going to go to that company's website. And yes, I ended up buying the boxes. So just that kind of back of the mind, like I know what this person does. Maybe that can help me. I think it sticks with you, especially for people who show up very consistently on LinkedIn. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been, it's been a, a big change in the way we all work. You know, you're, you're a great example of that. I'm another example of that in terms of change of career, change of location, all that sort of stuff. And now lately we've, we've obviously had, um, the proliferation of, of AI around chat GPT and that sort of thing. What do you think like in this, I guess, turbulent sort of world of content marketing, what do you think some of the biggest challenges that are facing content marketers at the moment? Um, one this year in particular tight budgets, um, mm -hmm. you know, companies, a lot of companies, not just content, but 
marketing overall, sales. I mean, they're all looking at like, how can we kind of slim down or definitely not, definitely not expanding budgets. So people are working with less. Um, and, you know, a lot of content marketers are talking about what does AI mean um, for me? And I think it's going to create more of a divide. Um, there are going to be companies that say, yeah, I'm just going to have AI write my blog post. And that's just going to, in my opinion, contribute to garbage on the internet. It's, <laughs> it's, it sounds like a human. Does it tell me anything useful? No, mm. it doesn't. Um, and so humans that may have been writing that type of content before, just for the purpose of posting to a blog, that probably is going to hurt what they're doing. But um, I think people are going to realize very quickly that that content really doesn't perform well. Um, it just doesn't. People are humans are going to read it. Humans are going to get like three paragraphs in or one paragraph in and say, that's not for me. And they're going to move on. Mm -hmm. um, but I use AI myself to generate topic ideas. You know, here's my, here's my topic. I know what I want to write about. What are maybe some counter arguments? What's something mm. I didn't think of? It's so different than going to Google, what I would have done before, but it's kind of, it breaks through the noise of Google yeah. and, and the SEO of Google that just puts the highest ranked content out there, whether or not it's actually helpful for me. And so, um, you know, I'll get like, maybe some of those points, make it into my outline. Um, and so I think there's ways that writers and even niche writers um, can use that to their benefit to just kind of speed up the process. Um, but that's kind of, or, you know, some of the repurposing stuff, take this long form post and have AI make some shorter posts and then tweak it. So mm -hmm. those are ways that can maybe reduce time spent, free up content marketers to work on other things when they're working at, you know, a company or an agency with a tighter budget. So kind of make, do more with less. Yeah, I think there's there's plenty of uses for it. Like one I thought of the other day, which I've I've just started doing with this podcast is um I like the idea of repurposing the content into text form, but it's it takes a long time, right? Like if you're gonna actually go time. through a transcript, that's massive. And so one of the ways I'm gonna use chat GPT myself is to actually just feed in the use Otter AI to actually just generate yep. the it automatically and then feed that into ChatGPT and say, give me a summary of this. And it's not, I'll then still write the post or have one of my writers do it for me, but it, you know, maybe I recorded it a month ago and I'm like, I can't actually remember everything that we, we talked about in there. And that's just a way to kind of like get the summary together and say, oh, that's right. Yeah, I do remember that. And sort of go from there. And that, I think that's a perfect use case for it. Yeah. And so, so I find it interesting because I've only had one client who's really approached me wanting to make a big AI pivot. Uh, and they, they basically said, look, can you 5X? We've had someone approach us who said they can 5X the amount of content for the same price as what you're charging us. Can you do anything for us? And I'm, I'm like, well, well no, uh, <laughs> you know, sorry, but it's, it doesn't at the moment, it doesn't really speed up my time. Uh, it speed up the time that it takes for us to create the content for you. Um, anyway, we left it at that. He's still a client of mine at the moment, but I know in the background, he's kind of thinking it. And I see on his website every now and then he gets a, uh, um, an article go on there that we didn't write that was clearly written by ChatGPT. And the, um, the really interesting thing from my perspective is a couple of weeks after that initial conversation, he came back to me and said, I'm just wondering, where do you get your content ideas from? And it's like, 
well, yeah, I, I come up with, I come up with the ideas myself because of all the research, like AI is not a solution. That's just going to do it for you. You still need someone there. Who's writing the prompts, who's deciding what to write about, who can pick the subheadings that it throws out and says, and oh, those two actually don't make any sense in relation to this. And so I think, yeah, I think there's going to be a, a nice happy middle ground where probably we're able to make our job a bit easier, uh, which means we can provide better service or maybe a little bit more quantity or something in the future for the clients. But I think I think it's a bit overblown at the moment. Yeah, I think um, I actually wrote about this on Medium a couple of weeks ago, but it's the difference between creative input versus creative output. So my, my husband's a software engineer and he uses AI because in, in coding, there's a lot of repetitive output. Mm -hmm. Like once he has to come up with the creative idea, right. And then AI can help speed up those lines and lines and lines of code. But his, yep. his contribution is creative upfront writers. It's the opposite. The, maybe the idea isn't all that interesting, but it's how the writer creatively executes on the idea. So it's, it's kind of the reverse um, and that's why I think that that's why you still need those good writers. They're the ones that can maybe take a bland, boring idea, top five B2B sales tactics mm -hmm. for 2023 and, and come up with something really interesting, something that people actually want to read. Um, so that creativity can't, can't really be substituted. Those unique insights from a human, you know, what we all call thought leadership that can't be replicated by mm. AI either. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So other than AI, are there any other kind of trends you're seeing in the future of content marketing? Any, any, anything you're keeping any particular eye on? You know, we all, I, I hear a lot about kind of what we talked about with like LinkedIn, where it's more about this dark, social, untraceable chatter community mm -hmm. that's happening in the background. I think that's just going to grow. Um, you know, maybe people still have a blog, but they've also got individuals or people that are talking about ideas that people want to discuss. And then it's loosely associated with the company, but it's less kind of in your face. Like, yeah, I'm always pitching what my company can do and what my product can do. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot more community connections, events, conversations like podcasts, because that's also kind of the counterbalance to AI, isn't it? It's actual human conversations and listening to something or participating in something that means something to you. Um, so I think, you know, I think community and events, things like that, those are just going to continue to grow. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see. I was, I was speaking to uh, Deb Mukherjee, one of the other guests on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, and he was saying something similar. He was saying like real world stuff, like, you know, the old school, like guerrilla marketing kind of tactics. And it, it, his view was that that kind of real world inverted commas is going to become a lot more integrated with the digital marketing aspect and tying up together um, to make it a bit more unique and I guess, experiential for people so they can connect more, I guess. Right. I think that's, you know, that's what we're all trying to do. Um, I've been a decision maker for products in the past for B2B products <clears throat> for the companies that I've worked for. Um, has it moved away from just doing a Google search and trying to find the best company? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's what company have I heard of? you know, kind of even indirectly or, oh, hey, I know somebody that works there. Maybe I'll check out their product. So um, kind of that buyer journey has changed and people have to understand that it might take a lot longer. We just kind of want to 
be there as having provided a great experience, if nothing else, than through interactions on LinkedIn or something mm-hmm. or some or some event that was interesting. So um that's my take on where things are going and we'll see if that plays out. Yeah, definitely. I guess one last thing before we before we wrap up to kind of bring it full circle back to the to the workflow automation stuff. If there's uh, either a freelance or a business startup, anybody who is looking at their operations, especially coming into the next year, efficiency is going to be really important. Is there any kind of advice or tips other than hiring you, obviously, are there any other <laughs> tips or advice you can give them around like where to start in trying to improve their processes and their efficiency? Yeah. So I think um, start with your pain points, your biggest pain points first. Like there, there are some things that I do in Zapier that are just little, little things in the background. It's just like, I just don't want to deal with it, but they're not really moving the needle or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a ton of companies have like large operational, you know, things that slow them down or, or so bottle, cause, bottlenecks, like yeah, bottlenecks, bottlenecks, basically. Yeah. Absolutely. Bottlenecks, complete meltdowns in the process and things like that. So even though it sounds like, yes, that's a big problem, but those are going to be the things that may have the biggest impact, you know, you can fix that problem and how many other problems get solved as a result, whether it's for Mm -hmm. your team, whether it's for speed, whether it's for client satisfaction, like those, you know, start with what is causing you pain and then move to, all right, what are the nice to have? You know, we got the pain problem out of the way. Now, what are, what are the things we can just do to make this better? And what are other ways we can save time? And that goes all the way back to my fintech days when I started as an implementation specialist in, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, taking a risk management solution into a a community bank. And that was always (laughs) the way that started. It was, what is Mm -hmm. your pain point? Fix that first. Oh, and now let's go look at all this other cool stuff the software can do. So um, that works. And sometimes that is hard. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's where you see the immediate kind of ROI from the time that you've spent is actually solving a problem. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been really nice to have a chat to you. Nice to sort of meet you face to face. Um, if people want to connect with you or get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? My website, uh, AnnaBYang.com uh, or LinkedIn, Anna Burgess Yang. I'm sure my name will be in the podcast somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be uh, in the show abs- Absolutely. Just uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm on there all the time, probably more than I should be. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) that's another great way. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. And uh, guys, if you want to connect with Anna, I'll make sure I I put her, her LinkedIn and website in the show notes. Thanks very much. Yes. Thanks so much for having me.